0: I'm Damian Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, we're speaking to Justin Garcia, who covers public safety for the Sun News. We're returning to a familiar topic, talking about the number of police shootings in Doñana County this year. We'll speak in-depth about the most recent shooting. It happened on the afternoon of August 2nd, after Las Cruces police responded to a shoplifting call at a gas station. Over the next hour, the situation escalated and ended abruptly with 36-year-old Presley Easy killed by a police officer. It was at least the fifth police shooting within Doniana County this year. Does this point to a trend and if so what does it mean? First Justin, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, absolutely. And here we are again talking about a familiar topic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's usually what you have me on here for.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it there, there is certainly a theme developing and it's it's an unfortunate one, but it's important to the community. I do want to start by talking about the most recent shooting. Over the past six weeks, what have we learned about what happened at the Chevron at uh, and University on August 2nd?
1: Yeah, so in, in the immediate aftermath of that shooting, there was very little that was made publicly available, including at the time we didn't know the the guy who'd been shot's name. So, you know, through, you know, public records requests and, and some other reporting stuff, uh, we figured out that uh, the man who had been shot, his name was Presley Easy Jr. He was 36. He was from Connecticut. And, you know, it, it, it's and you know, it's it's obviously you know as, as reporters we we want to be able to get the information. We 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 believe that the information should be presented to the public in the quickest and most reasonable way possible. In this case, you know, in this case, that wasn't really what happened. Instead, it was kind of through less. It was kind of through this these public records and stuff that we kind of figured out. And we're still, as of the, the recording of this this podcast, we're still waiting on uh, body camera. But essentially what we can say happened was that on the evening of August second, two thousand twenty two, uh, Easy along with a number of other people went to the very popular chevron on Valley. Uh, if anyone who's ever been passing through Las Cruces has almost certainly stopped at the Chevron since it's right off of I ten and and kind of one of the first it's it's the first gas station if you're heading west and the last gas station if you're heading east. And it's so it's, a, it's
0: also at a very busy crossroads kind of in, in Las Cruces too. So yeah, lots of correct. local local traffic as well.
1: Local traffic near the university, uh just lots of lots of reasons for people to stop there. And so On this particular day, there was uh, quite a cross-section of people who were there, including Easy, who was there with a couple of other people that he knew. Uh, There was a a family who was on their way to North Carolina, a a local family, uh, a mother and her two sons who were just stopping in for gas, Uh, and there was a guy kind of hanging out on the side of the street, just kind of uh, you know watching all this stuff kind of go down. So what we know is that... Easy walks in to the gas station and, and wants to buy a pack of cigarettes. He doesn't seem to have his, according to the the clerk at the time, he doesn't have his ID. He doesn't have a driver's license, and so the clerk says, "I can't sell you these." You know, there's some kind of questions about, okay, how did how did that conversation happen? Obviously, we weren't there. There's no video of that conversation, but uh, the clerk recounts it as, "Well, you know, Easy got upset. They kind of exchanged some words. Easy left." A little bit later, came back in, walked over to to where they uh, they store and the, sell beer, the beer cooler, Gra- right? The beer cooler. Yep. Grabbed himself a, a tall bud light, walked out. The clerk followed him, said, hey, man, you got to pay for that. Easy turned around and told him, according to the clerk, turned around and told him to, uh, quote, suck it and pay for it. Uh, at which point the clerk went back inside, called his
0: manager and the manager was like, well, just call the police. And uh, the clerk from our reporting uh, seems to have been relatively new on the job. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Both of the clerks who are who police talk to and, and put into their
1: police reports, uh, both had less than six months experience working at that gas station. Gotcha. So police get called They're there not long after the, the call gets made. And then just just kind of for some context, that was also National Night Out, which is kind of this. You know, this is national thing, but Las Cruces does it every year as well. And basically what happens is police and, and other first responder types head downtown and and as kind of like a community building uh, yeah. fair,
0: essentially. A huge so huge community outreach uh, yeah. law enforcement fair yeah, for uh, they they kind of targeting kids and families to build rapport within the community.
1: Yeah, it's it's you know, it's basically like a national kind of uh, attempt at at sort of building, like you said, building community and and Las Cruces events are are pretty, pretty well attended, I would say. Right. But that also creates a kind of unique public safety situation where you have a potentially a large number of your officers there. At this event. So that could include patrol officers who might be, you know, trying to talk to people or or show some piece of equipment that they think the public would find interesting or might include sergeants or lieutenants who are, you know, might be a little bit more able to kind of have kind of more conversations with people. So it, it, it sort of creates a unique they, situation.
0: They're certainly um, a little more uh, indisposed than, than yes. they might than the entire department might otherwise be. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something that's reflected in these police reports as as in
1: the aftermath as people as officers start showing up. There's a lot of back and forth about like, okay, well, so should somebody should somebody go downtown or do we have too many people here? And that sort of thing, because, you know, kind of officer involved shootings, as the police refer to them, they require a lot of. There's a lot of procedure that happens in the immediate aftermath of the shooting. There's a lot of boxes that have to be checked, you know, certain. There's kind of this chain of command thing that has to happen where certain officers with certain responsibilities have to get in contact with the police chief and the deputy chiefs who then have to come down to the scene. Uh, the officer who shot the person has to be taken back to the station in, in this kind of like they have to essentially be like cloistered and sequestered, and and taken to the station where there's no one else is going to, no one else who's potentially involved is going to talk to them, and
0: they have to like sort of and, and take off home. possibly influence testimony possibly, later down yeah. the road,
1: right? Exactly, exactly. And so they have to, uh, you know. And then, meanwhile, there's a there's sort of like a dual investigation where on on the one hand, some people are investigating the shoplifting, and other. People might be investigating the, the police shooting. And so it's quite an involved process.
0: Well, let's let's back up a little bit because um, so far nobody has been shot. <laughs> right. So.
1: As the police arrive, and, and this is, I think, I think this is the this, the piece of the story in which there's still the most questions. Uh, as the police arrive, an officer confronts Easy and the other individuals in the back of the the back of this uh, this green Pontiac that they're all in. And it's it's unclear how this confrontation started, but that sort of initial contact, it's unclear how that kind of goes. Uh, a second officer shows up and at some point, easy and this first officer begin to fight uh, physically. Uh, Again, it's not entirely clear how that happened. It's not that that's that's I think the big question that still remains here uh, that that we're hoping the body camera footage can answer.
0: Police say that Easy was was drinking the beer that he allegedly shoplifted over by the gas pumps. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. That is correct. So this fight ensues at some point, according to one of the witnesses who was um, just kind of uh, you know, I don't want to use the word loitering in the area, but just kind of hanging out. Right. He tells the police that it, it seems like Easy is able to handle both of these officers in this fight. And he eventually gets knocks one on the ground and gets on top of one of them. The guy reports This is the the man who was kind of just hanging out. He he tells officers that it it, it seems like easy might be reaching for the man's or for the officer's uh, utility belt, which, you know, features his gun and taser and and mace and all that, all the kind of different weapons that officers bring to situations. And so the second officer shoots easy uh, once in the head and kills him from there. At this point, more officers have begun kind of swarming the area, the uh, the whole kind of scuffle. Uh, at least portions of the scuffle, I should say, are caught on the radio dispatch. And so this kind of this this exchange, at least part of it goes out over the
0: is heard by, you know, officers kind of across the city. And, and which so uh, we read about, but we still haven't heard those. Right. Right. That's correct. Gotcha. So at that point, uh, uh, you know, at that point,
1: a half dozen or officers at least began kind of showing up and surrounding the car The two other men in the car are both kind of taken out. They both surrender the second man. Although there's some kind of, there's a situation that develops there where they can't get the second guy out of the car for a little while. And, and later, as it turned out that uh, police believe that he was ingesting uh, fentanyl as the police in, in one of these reports, the police speculate that the, he was attempting to like dispose of it and that results in a situation where this guy's kind of fading in and out and and one of the officers gives him Narcan and and kind of takes him to the hospital and that sort of stuff. But from there, you know, the situation obviously calms down quite a bit. Um, the family from North Carolina, they, you know, sheltered behind their car, the, the, the mother and her children they've sheltered inside of the Chevron to avoid, you know, not really sure what's going on. They've them and the clerks kind of, found a back room in the, in the gas station and kind of hunkered down. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, from there, maybe, oh five ten 10 minutes later, maybe 15 minutes, the entire kind of press corps of Las Cruces had, had staged at the Whataburger across the street. Right. Uh, all, all of the, you know, I, I, you know, I was there as well. I could see the, the two deputy chiefs, the police chief, all of the, uh, uh, the department's top lieutenant,
0: the, the brass, top,
1: yeah, yeah, everyone who's kind of got some administrative authority had sort of descended on the area, and and like I said, in some of the police reports, there's um, some back and forth, <laughs> there's some back and forth between two of the lieutenants about whether or not like who who exactly should be here and who should be at the
0: the event downtown. As has become more common uh, this year, police held a news conference the following day. How forthcoming were authorities at that conference?
1: Yeah, so... News conferences are kind of interesting from like a, a journalistic point of view. On the one hand, they're great because they provide an opportunity to well, typically I should say not always, but typically they provide an opportunity for reporters to ask direct questions of public officials. And and because of the nature of that dynamic, right, you've got these these public officials standing at a podium in front of cameras They can't ex- it's a little bit harder to just kind of ignore your question. And so that's great. Right but on the other hand it's also there's also a degree of performance to it in that you know everyone knows all the reporters are there to ask questions all of the public officials are there to answer them and once it's done it's done
0: yeah it's as as performative as it is uh spontaneous or or impromptu you know yeah. from from the the reporter's end
1: yeah it's almost like a it's almost like this kind of uh it almost takes on a sort of like ritualistic kind of feeling in that, like everyone knows what they're there to do. There's a sort of unspoken set of rules and norms, especially among reporters. Like, you know, you want to sort of allow other reporters to ask questions, but you also need to make sure you get your own questions answered. And there's some kind of unspoken norms. It's so it's like a it's almost like baseball a little bit. But exactly. anyway, anyway, so you asked, you know, how forthcoming were they? I, I think. It's always tough, right? It's tough to sort of make that judgment because on the one hand, I, I as a reporter, want all the information as soon as possible. Um, I I just I fundamentally believe that the public, the public can handle it and be responsible with it. Obviously, that's not necessarily the opinion of most or any police departments. They they feel like certain information needs to be withheld in order to protect the investigation, their investigation and all that. So. As I said, you know, at, at the time we didn't know uh, the man who'd been killed. We didn't know his name uh, or anything about him. And typically that that identity is revealed at the, you know, in the immediate aftermath. And that wasn't the case here. At the time, the uh, city of Las Cruces spokesperson, Dan Trujillo, said that police were still working to identify him, uh, so that, you know, that's a seems like a perfectly reasonable
0: excuse uh, later on, especially um, since allegedly he didn't have any I.D. Right. Exactly right. You go back to the whole thing with cigarettes
1: and stuff. And and in fact, in, in police reports, they they talk about um, or I'm sorry, you know, I, now that I think about it, I misspoke. What what the spokesperson had said was not that they had not I.D. him, but it was that they. They hadn't contacted his family. They hadn't had a chance to get in touch with his family to, to let them no, know that this had notify happened. Notify next of kin. Yes. Yeah. yeah gotcha. Because uh, cause they actually were able to, according to the police reports, they they used a kind of like rapid fingerprinting technology and were able to run his prints. And And while, you know, uh, Easy had, he was from the kind of New Haven, Connecticut area. He had been down here in in southern New Mexico for for a little while for at least since 2019, according to some some court records. So, you know, you, you asked this this question about forthcomingness at these press conferences and and it, it was. I think it's 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 valuable because it allows, like I said, it allows you to ask the direct question, right? Like, you know, what happened? What happened? What could have been what could have been different? All that stuff. And it allows you to ask it of the people who have you know, uh, people who have the most authority and and the people where the buck stops at. So in that respect, I I think they're they're very valuable.
0: Since then, we've been able to obtain several police reports, which we've talked a little about and uh, witness statements to kind of help paint that picture of how things unfolded. However, what's the status of our efforts to obtain the video?
1: Broad and burdensome, my friend.
0: <laughs> that is the status.
1: <laughs> that is the status. Unfortunately, so I, that, I guess kind for, of- for
0: listeners uh, who have never filed uh, an inspection of public records request with a public agency, broad and burdensome is a term that can be applied if the agency feels like your request is going to take more than the 15 days allowed under state law.
1: Yeah. That's exactly correct. And and it's it's unfortunate because specifically I'm I'm requesting the body cameras of the two officers who were directly involved. And and so, you know, they didn't ask me if I thought it was broad or burdensome, but I guess they don't have to. So, no, but that's so I mean, that's obviously, you know, that's obviously a really critical piece of the story, because I think the big question is, is what happened in those what happened in those moments, right? What happened in the, what were the split second decisions? What were the, you know, what were the, the the, words, the conversations that were used that kind of led up to to this point? I think that's really critical for the public's understanding of, of you know, what happened in these events. And
0: I can't help but think back to the shooting death of uh, 76-year-old Amelia Baca in April. The police reports kind of provided an incomplete picture of how things transpired in that the 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 real visceral response seemed to come or seemed to intensify after we started seeing the videos after those were released
1: yeah and you know and 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 here's sort of the Procedural reason for that, right? So the officer involved is, is using the terminology of the police, right? The officer who's involved in the shooting, the person who pulled the trigger or or whatever, they they become sort of subjects in the in the in the investigation, and so they don't necessarily, so they're not going around being like filling out police reports, right? Like I said, as soon as the the sort of scene is declared safe. Other police officers who were not involved go and take that officer. They they literally will sometimes surround him, right? Him or her. They'll surround him so that like, oh, okay, we'll make sure this guy's all the way over here. He's surrounded. No one else can see him. And they'll put him in the back of a, or they'll put him in the front of a car, not the back of a car. They'll put him in. They'll put him in a car. They'll take him to the station. And and
0: then and then the officers put on leave. And so, uh, all know, the while speaking to no one none of his colleagues in right, the meantime ideally, ideally right yeah speaking to no one
1: and so but obviously that is a that is a really critical perspective about what happened in the incident is is the officer's perspective so and that's not in the police reports so you know you 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 mentioned the emilia baca shooting that one was a uh, one of the really interesting things from the body camera on that was these different interviews that were conducted, you know, detectives interviewing the other two police officers who responded to to that in the kind of immediate seconds. Right. So just kind of to do a quick recap, uh, Amelia Baca, her some of her family members had called police because they were worried that Amelia Baca was going to hurt them or hurt her. And she was experiencing a, a mental health crisis brought on by uh, some form of dementia. So the police got there. Specifically, the first officer, Jared Cosper, he arrives, sees that Baca has the knives, begins yelling at her to drop them for about 38 seconds. And and, uh, once that doesn't happen, he shoots her uh, and ultimately kills her. Two other officers in that 38 second period, two other officers had also arrived at the scene. Uh, One officer is sort of backing up Cosper and and making sure that um, Amelia Baca's two other family members who were who were outside could to kind of interfere in that dynamic while a third officer just, just gets on scene in the seconds, seconds after Bach had been shot. Those two officers are interviewed on, on the body cams and that's obviously, you know, very critical perspective. But at some point um, Jared Cosper is also interviewed, but because that's like more considered to be more like investigative material, Unfortunately, that's not something that we've seen at this time, it, you know, especially considering if that case ends up, if that situation, you know, if, if that situation ends up going to, to trial, then that'll be, a, you know, a critical piece of, um, a critical piece of evidence.
0: Right. And I also keep coming back to the the interview that took place with Amelia Baca's uh, relative inside the police cruiser. Um, yeah. And that was released to us and that also provided i think some important context
1: yeah i agree i agree i think what that stuff is really valuable for is i think it really it it really humanizes these experiences you know like setting aside any kind setting aside any kind of arguments about like what police officers are allowed to do, what they should be allowed to do. I, I think what those videos show is that like at the end of the day, this is like, these are, these are really, really human often,
0: situations.
1: Yeah. I was going to, yeah. Human situations that are often extremely traumatic. And I, I, you know, and sometimes in these police reports that doesn't get reflected, right? Because they are, the the reports are meant to be very, very, they are narratives that are meant to be very, very factual, and um, and that kind of loses and and, and it's funny, it's funny because in that effort, I think sometimes some of the the, the truth of the situation, that deeper truth of, of the humanity of the experience gets lost in the in the language of um, kind of bureaucratic policing. So that's that's what and that's one thing that I think body cameras correct is that you can you can say whatever you want in a police report, you can say whatever you want in a in a deposition, but the camera, the camera shows what the camera shows.
0: Right. Right. And to that end, Justin, what are some of, the, some of the other challenges of covering these types of stories and getting the information that the community needs that we feel the community deserves? Well,
1: you know, one of the, I think the most challenging things for me is the kind of One of the I think maybe not the most challenging thing, the most challenging thing about stuff like this is the fact that somebody's been killed and somebody's lost their life. And as a result, somebody has lost a family member or someone that they care about. Uh, Meanwhile, another person is irrevocably changed because they've just killed somebody. And that's something that that will 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 always be a part of them going forward. Again, regardless of of anything else, that is a fact one of the things that I think, though, is kind of something that I, is is really challenging for any reporter, is that there is a lot of <laughs> policing is very complicated. Uh, it is people have really, really, really deep-seated opinions and beliefs about police and police role in society, and how police either need to be supported or uh, admonished and it's it's difficult that makes that it's difficult then to really get a straight answer out of people when you're asking these questions about what happened and what they remember and, and that sort of thing because because it always comes in the context of this really really intense thing that we are confronting in our society which is which is which falls down onto the question of what is, what should be the role of a police officer. And, and I think it's tough because it's tough because like you said, I, I in the immediate aftermath of of these sorts of shootings, I know what my job should be. My job should be to let people know what happened, right? Because, you know, currently the way our policing system works in this country and in this state, Police have a lot of authority. Uh, they have a lot of authority, sure. especially in situations when there's when there's a potential public danger. Right. Somebody's fighting somebody else or fighting a police officer that that gives them a lot of leeway. So I think it's if you're going to say, OK, we're going to give this person a lot of power. You have to also say, but we're going to be really transparent about it in order to ensure that that power is is not abused or is abused as least uh, or, or that abuse is mitigated but you know it's just really tough because like people you ask these questions of like oh hey you know tell me about what happened or what did you see and the answers are often sort of coded in language of either coded in in language that is used oftentimes in in the sort of political rhetoric around policing which is which is unhelpful right it's totally unhelpful for 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 me as someone who's trying to report the story it's unhelpful i think for letting people know what's going on and and again i say it's unhelpful but i i i certainly sympathize with with both people who kind of take the side of um you know the police can do nothing wrong and and sympathize with the side who say like no the police are are a fundamentally broken institution but what's challenging what's challenging in these moments is that there's really no way to sort of tell the story in a way that is satisfactory to either of those sides. Like even, even it, at least in a way that I think is meaningful to the public, you know, not that obviously not that we would ever do this, but I mean, there are certain, you know, there are obviously like certain people, you you can read this kind of stuff on Facebook where people will just, you know, recast events of these things in these terms that are like dehumanizing and they blame people that really don't need to be blamed or they take a very nuanced person with like nuanced experiences and and simplify them. And, and that's just silly. <laughs> it's just silly because that's not how people are. So that's that's right. a huge challenge. That's a huge I, challenge. And
0: I think also to that point, it seems like, you know, you also are dealing with as a reporter, we're dealing with witness statements that, are not firsthand. They're, they're secondhand. They're written up usually by a uniformed officer. Right. Exactly. So we're, we're kind of,
1: it's filtered through that person's experience. And then, and then of course filtered through my experience as I read it and then translate it onto a, into a story. And so that's, uh, again, it goes back to, it goes back to, that's why, that's why body cam is so valuable because it just shows, it's it just like, You can put that all aside and say, like, well, this guy had a camera around his body, so we'll just watch that.
0: Right. And then and then you've got a slightly clearer picture of what happened, how things transpired. And as police officers will tell you, it's not a perfect photo, right, because you can't
1: it's not a perfect representation because it's it's it is a it is a fixed lens. And for LCPD, it's on their chests. For others, it's like on their shoulder or, or sometimes there's like cameras and tasers and stuff. But. It doesn't really capture it. Body camera doesn't necessarily capture the fool doesn't capture the feelings of the officer. It doesn't capture what's happening behind the police officer, I for was, example.
0: I was just going to say, um, currently, there's there's no way to get a readout on uh, what everyone involved was thinking.
1: <laughs> yes, currently in, in 2022,
0: we cannot uh, mind read yet so yeah if if only there were a transcription of uh what everyone involved was thinking then we we'd have a much clearer picture um you know justin every time there's another police shooting as we've been tracking and reporting on them throughout this year specifically there's chatter around the newsroom about whether police shootings are outnumbering civilian shootings what can you tell us about that as things stand as of this recording? Yeah, well, as of this recording, uh, you know, we just kind of we try to keep
1: track of this stuff as best we can. And as of this recording, at least in the kind of immediate Las Cruces, Doniana County area, the police, including LCPD and, and um Doniana County Sheriff's Office, have been have shot and killed more people than people have killed other people and, and been charged with murder. So that's obviously concerning. New Mexico has the highest rate of police killings in the country, uh, according to a Washington Post database. That's that's a fact that's been a fact for for a while. It's it. Police in New Mexico kill more people than they do per capita in compared to other places. That's just that's that's a fact. So when you see that happening here and when you see that happening in, in our county i think uh, it, it's definitely concerning and i actually spoke i during one of these press conferences and again this goes back to why these conferences are so valuable i i spoke with the Doniana County Sheriff Kim Stewart and i asked her kind of that question point blank i said hey like you know do you are you concerned about a pattern here is there any procedures that you think you need to review or change and at the time she kind of deferred the question and said, well, she said, you know, essentially, well, these situations are unique. And she said, these situations are unique. And frankly, there's been more instances of of people resisting arrest and resisting police officers uh, across the country. Miguel Dominguez, the police chief of uh, Las Cruces said something similar at a at a community event before the Chevron shooting occurred, but that you know he had said that his officers were facing more, or I should say, his officers were facing less compliance uh, when they were out in the street um, compared to years past. So, you know, it just it just goes to show that it's it's police shootings. I think are some of the, if not the most complicated and most nuanced thing that. I, as a criminal justice reporter, cover
0: by my count this year three involved LCPD, including one on Telshore that was not fatal, and yeah. three involved the Doniana County Sheriff's Office, including one that began in Doniana County but actually ended up in El Paso. Yeah, that's right. So that would be a total of six involving Doniana County law enforcement agencies. Yep. That is, that is my understanding as well. Although it should be because we're looking at the same information. (laughs) (laughs) Information you reported. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What are we going to be speaking of which, what are we going to be looking forward, looking for as we move forward? Well, the body camera is a big thing uh, in this specific case. Obviously we want
1: to see the body camera. Um, we have a similar story out that will uh, that kind of goes over uh, what happened in the Shore shooting uh, back in back in July. But, you know, I, I think one thing that I'm still trying to kind of get a get get a good story around is is really kind of asking the question of what is the what is the investigation process for. These sorts of shootings, Doniana is kind of unique in that. Let's say you know, for example, a, a police officer in uh, Española shoots and kills someone. Well, in that instance, the state police will step in and conduct an investigation. That is not what typically happens here. In Las Cruces, what happens is is a task force made up of different agencies, including DASO and LCPD and the NMSU police they kind of f- form an investigation team, but, but critically that team is led by an officer, a detective who is a member of the same department, who is a member of the same department as the person being investigated. So it's kind of a, you know, it's an interesting, it's a very different system than, than what occurs elsewhere. It's also not, it's also not necessarily, it's not required to be that way. And in, in the Christopher Smelzer killing. New Mexico state police investigated, investigated that, uh, that case and and were ultimately the ones who gave it to the district attorney. So it's kind of a, it's, it's done differently here. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a question worth being asked of, okay, well, why is it done so differently? And, And what does that, what does that mean for police who are involved in shootings? And what does that mean for people who feel that, uh the police have committed some misconduct in in the context of that shooting.
0: I think I think another valuable question in that conversation is what is the value in having the agency that the officer belongs to lead that investigation. Yeah, I agree. What is the I agree. the benefit or the value of that? Sure. I agree. What is the benefit of the value and what are the drawbacks? Right. Those are, that's the, kind of the essential
1: question around if you're going to if you're going to decide to have a detective from your
0: own department investigate these shootings, what does that give you and, and what does that prevent you from having? What do you want to add, Justin, that we haven't discussed already? Oh, well, we've we've really gone into it,
1: <laughs> so I, I don't know how much there is to we add it. Definitely
0: uh, kind of got in the weeds.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I guess I just wanted to add that I think these are these are really complicated and nuanced situations, and and, and I hope that people appreciate that. And uh, when they're, I hope that people appreciate that when they're thinking about these sorts of things and what they mean. I mean, you know, it's it's. The truth is that that these sorts of things are are really terrible for everybody involved, and they aren't. You know, I think sometimes, especially for police, I think sometimes there's this this feeling that, well, that was the only thing that could have happened, right? That, well, you know, this is the only way that this could have ended. And i I tend to think that um, I tend not to 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 hold those kind of fatalistic views about things.
0: Some so some I, fish don't want to be caught.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how much I, I buy that. I think, uh, I think there's always a chance. So hopefully we will be able to kind of, um, hopefully we'll be able to kind of shed some light on how this investigation process works. And, and again, just giving people the context and the understanding and, and, hoping to paint that nuanced picture with as many stories as it takes to to be able to say, hey, you know, when these shootings occur, if they occur, because I think I think we can all agree that it'd be great if they didn't happen. If they occur. Then here is here's what you can expect from beginning to end, and here's everything that can happen and, and hoping to kind of fill that uncertainty that surrounds these events and Hey, maybe we'll maybe we'll even help people not be so angry at each other about, about this stuff by feeling some feeling some uncertainty.
0: There's also one other dynamic that I'd like to kind of bounce off of you, because when covering stories like this, they seem to happen all at once and then uh, not at all for a long time. Yeah, that is you know, strange, isn't it? Like everything happens in thirty minutes, and then nothing happens for the next weeks or months. In this case, we're six weeks after the the Chevron shooting. So, right. and yeah. and we've had to work tooth and nail to cobble together, you know what what information we've got right now, right.
1: Yeah, and and that's
0: <laughs> sort of the nature of
1: of this kind of thing, right? That like it, it happens and it's over within even thirty minutes. I mean, sometimes it's like I mean, I talked about sometimes the, it's within thirty eight seconds, right? Right, exactly. And then for weeks and months, and and then you look at the Christopher Smelser situation in years, right? Sure. That that case went to trial this summer, and and from from an event that happened two years ago. So it's, it's, I don't know. It's, (laughs) you you like for everything, I I guess, as a person, you always like for everything to be sort of wrapped up in a neat, timely bow. But, but that, uh, that desire is often runs against reality for these sorts of things.
0: Yeah, that doesn't happen in these, these sorts of cases. Justin, thank you so much for, for your time today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporters' stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our stories and the rest of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Justin for joining us this week. You can read Justin's reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. Also, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and many of the places you find your favorite podcasts. This has been The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. You can find all our local reporting Brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com. For all of us at The Sun News, thank you for the privilege of your time.